Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Thank you, Megan. Um, Megan is awesome, and you just experienced a little bit of that. Megan leads uh, kids ministry here and uh, does a wonderful job with them, but also we knew we wanted to hear from her um, on this topic, and, uh, and so that's what we're talking about today. So we're in a relationship series, and uh, last week, if you weren't here, we kicked it off, and uh, my co-pastor, Tyler, talked about marriage, and it was so good. Um, He's not paying me to say this. You need to go back and listen to it or watch it. It was the best uh, marriage sermon I've ever heard. And and Tyler, as a single guy, uh, brought that. And so today, as a married person, I get to talk about singleness. And we're going to talk about uh, conflict another week and hospitality, uh, friendship. I'm really looking forward to that one. But today, uh, I get to talk about singleness, which is what we all want to talk about. I mean, everybody comes to church to hear us talk about singleness. And so um, if you've been around for a little bit, you know this. If you're new, I want to remind you that we have a complaint hotline. It's Tyler at CityChurchOTR.com. And he would love, he would love to have all of your complaints about the things that you don't like that I say today. I know, I know he'd love to get emails from you. So uh, before I talk about singleness, a little bit about me, I think this is important. I have, and this is crazy, but I've been married for almost eight years. And uh, that's, it's crazy because I'm so young. And uh, we have been married for almost eight years, and uh, it's been amazing. We went through about 16 hours of premarital counseling, only after we went through 16 hours of pre-engagement counseling. We went through so much counseling. Marriage has honestly, and this is, I know, just one person's experience, but for me, it's been wonderful. It's been um, surprisingly easy. They told us, you know, just basically the first year is going to be terrible. Everybody told us that. Lots of people, not everybody. And, uh, and about 18 months in, we kind of poked our head out and was like, this is actually relatively easy thus far. And I think we've chosen to accept, actually, maybe marriage can just be amazing. Maybe it really can be. And maybe it's coming. Maybe it's your nine. But I've had such a great experience being married. I'm big on marriage. I love marriage. I uh, love doing weddings, love getting couples ready for that. And I want you to know that because maybe over the next like 25, 30 minutes, you might wonder, do you really? Um, because... I, uh, and I really do, I love my marriage, but there is a strange fire in my bones about the topic we're talking about today. Like, there is a strange burden that I carry as someone who is married for the way that the church has engaged or is engaging people that are not married, and this feeling that I hear often from them of, like, I just feel like I'm maybe a little bit less than or I'm not quite capable of serving fully in the church, and there is a fire in my bones. So at the end of this, I want you to remember, I love my marriage, and it's going well, but man, we've got to do a better job, and this church will do a better job of championing both the married and the unmarried. So with that said, uh, we have to talk about this more than ever, because um, 100 years ago, this wasn't a big deal. Uh, On average, 100 years ago, people were hitting puberty around age 14, and the average age that you were getting married was about 19. So you had five effective years of being single. Uh, my grandparents got married when he was 17 and she was 15. 
Her parents had to like sign off on it. He had to teach her how to drive because she was 15. And he tells me all the time that he regrets that because for 60 years now she's been teaching him how to drive. <laughs> and, and that's not, but that's not that rare 60 years ago or even 100 years ago. But today, for whatever reason you want to choose, it's probably because it's an over-sexualized culture, but we're on average hitting puberty now at 11 instead of 14. It's on average. I chose to hit it when I entered high school because who doesn't want to be a male and five foot when they get into the high school halls? But on average, we're hitting it at 11, and the average time that, the pe that people are entering into their first marriage is age 28. So we've gone from five to 17 years of effective singleness, and that's just for people entering into their first marriage. There's also people that are single now later on in life because of divorce or because of death. The majority of America is actually, the majority of American adults are actually single. The majority of the church is single. Millennials, my generation, are preferring to not get married at all or get married much and much later. A fourth of millennials will actually be single still at age 50, choosing not to marry or not be married at the time. And it's what church sociologists would say are, this is the majority of our church. But also what church sociologists would say are the silent majority. Because there's so much influence that single people bring to the church, but there's actually not a whole lot of delegated influence that we give them to lead. And then we've created this really great idea. Um, and we call it a ministry because we're spiritual. But it's a singles ministry. And, and, of course, we just ignore if you're 40 or above and you're single. But if you're 20, in your 20s or 30s, we herd you into a room. We call it a singles ministry. And we just pray that you meet someone or we hope that you get married out of that. And, uh, and meet Jesus, of course, and be conformed into his image. But we've created these ideas of, like, marriage is the next step in discipleship. And actually, I don't think that that's true. That doesn't seem to be true, at least from what we read in Scripture. And so from my experience of talking to other people, just kind of what I've observed, it seems like actually being unmarried is harder in the church than it is to be outside the church. Because the church, and we would never say this, but there's feelings that you feel at times of maybe you're a little bit incomplete, and the world says, hey, don't worry about that, you can just sleep around. But the Bible says, no, you can't really do that, and so you just start to date, but your pastor says you've got to guard your heart, whatever that means, and your career says you should actually just throw yourself into work because you can make more money that way. But Jesus says it's not quite that simple because you can't serve two masters, and some blogger who has no authority in your life says your spouse is just around the corner. So you start to just accept that you'll attend church and feel less than, while barely keeping your head above water and being sexually pure, and you casually start to date, but you've got to guard your heart again, whatever that means, and you work hard at your job, but not too hard so that you can show Jesus that you still love him, and you're waiting for the answer to that blogger right around the corner, and she had, or he had, no authority to say it in the first place. It's a little too early to start preaching, but guys, there is a fire in my bones for how this church and how this little corner of Cincinnati is going to both address married and unmarried people. And this group matters in the church because it's so large. And this group matters in the church because the Bible says so. Um, so like most messages I give, we're going to start in Genesis. Genesis 1 through 12, I think, sets so much of the framework for any issue that we're going to tackle. And we're going to be in Genesis 2 today. If you've ever been to a wedding, like seriously ever, you've heard Genesis 2.18. Uh, and I think in your notes it actually says 2.26. Um, our church editor missed that. 
just kidding, that's just me. I messed up. <laughs> it is Genesis 2.18. And it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so this is the first marriage, kind of that first um, uh, marriage that launches into a summary of the Old Testament of this is a big deal. In the Old Covenant, marriage, I mean, this family thing is a big deal. It, as you kind of weave one of the themes throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we see that who your family is, who your spouse is, who your clan is, like literally who your daddy is, that's actually a big deal. How many kids you have is a big deal. The kind of land that you have is a big deal. All of those things are tied to the kind of blessing or the kind of success that you're having. And the family unit, the nuclear family unit, was a self-sustaining, often a self-sustaining thing. In short, like your biology and your genealogy were one of the biggest indicators for how like, successful you were in the Old Testament. Until Jesus comes on to the scene. And Megan mentioned this, but Jesus was the absolute greatest, the full, most fully functioning, fully happy, fully joyful, archetyped of all humanity, and he was unmarried. Despite what the Da Vinci Code said, he actually was unmarried. <laughs> Thanks, Tom Hanks. And Jesus lives the most full life of all time as an unmarried person. And we heard last week, again, listen to it, but Tyler said Jesus came and he started to tweak and he started to change a bit of what marriage looks like. And it wasn't just marriage that Jesus started to tweak, but he started to tweak what the entire family structure looked like. And he didn't get rid of the nuclear family, but he started to widen it. In Genesis 12, um, Jesus is teaching in, it seems like, someone's living room, and his mom and his brothers come up, and they're trying to get to him. And his disciples say, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. And Jesus, and this is a pretty famous kind of quote back, although most of the time we don't know what it means, but he, said, he put his hand out to his followers and said, see, these are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my sister and my brother. And, uh, and Jesus lived in what would be called an honor and shame culture. And it's still, th those kinds of cultures are still pretty prevalent in the Middle East, a lot of Eastern countries, where um, it's high honor and high shame, usually around the patriarch of the family. And the greatest priority that you had was to your nuclear family. The greatest loyalty that you were supposed to share was to your nuclear family. And Jesus, through this passage and a few others, starts to widen the family a bit. He starts to widen the constructs of what it could look like to thrive under his new kingdom. And he gets rid of some of the social constructs, constructs that said, no, no, you've got to be married. And he starts to slowly upend a little bit of the social framework of this honor and shame, nuclear family-driven culture. And he did not get rid of the nuclear family. Hear me on that. He did not get rid of it. But he started to widen what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. This is in your notes, and if you get one thing this morning, I want everyone to get this. If the church is the new family, then every member gets a seat at the table. If the church is the new family, then every member gets a seat at the table. And if you're single, this is really good news. And if you're married, this is really good news. Because your family just got a whole lot bigger, it got a whole lot fuller, and in my opinion, it got a whole lot better. Now, the Bible says more about this. Married people, please do not check out. Okay, this isn't like, oh, mine was last week. I guess I missed it. This is for you. The Bible has so much to say about this. And I thought I would spend most of my time in 1 Corinthians 7. It's like the 
chapter on singleness and dating and marriage and sex. And uh, I, I'm just going to read one verse uh, because there's other things I want to get to. But I want to read 1 Corinthians 7, 7. This is Paul, who was a single guy. He's writing to the church in Corinth. They'd asked him some questions. And he said this to them. He said, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each has your own gift from God. One has that gift and another has this. And uh, if you read verses 1 through 6, we see Paul specifically talking about the fact that he's not married. That he um, is single. And he says, I wish all of you were as I am. And he calls singleness even, you can interpret this, he calls singleness actually a gift. A gift of living um, single. Like it's a, it's, a, it's a gift that he gives certain people to thrive in the midst of not being married. And uh, I read an article about this verse, and they said, if singleness is a gift, I'd love to know what the exchange policy is. <laughs> Not the right way to look at it, but Paul, again, remember, we serve a good father who doesn't give bad gifts to his kids. But Paul says, I wish everybody was like this. And so this is in your notes. Paul, the author of most of the New Testament, Paul validates singleness. And he probably got that from his hero, Jesus, in Matthew 19. Uh, Matthew 19, Jesus is now doing a teaching on divorce. And uh, he's talking about what divorce looks like, and his disciples get really like confused. They're like, man, if this is the case, then maybe it's better to not marry. And Jesus, in verse 11 and 12, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And, and he goes in and he talks, I mean, a eunuch, so someone that's not engaging romantically or sexually, um, and specifically there's physical things going on, Google it if you want, but he addresses three types of eunuchs and he says, look, there's, this is happening all over the place, and he seems to affirm it. He says, one, there are eunuchs that were born that way. I mean, quite simply, just there, are, there were people that were born with physical deformities. They were born as eunuchs. Number two, and we know what this one means, absolutely, it says that there were others that were made that way. And, and at that time, if you wanted to serve in like a king or a royal house, uh, because I guess every king was insecure, uh, you had to become a eunuch if you wanted to serve in his palace. If you were going to be around his wife, or most likely wives, or uh, you were going to be around his daughters, you had to, part of the job description, again, wild, is that you had to become a eunuch. Department of Labor would have a blast with that one today. And uh, you'll think twice next time you complain about the commute that you have to your work once you go back. So this was born that way, made that way by others, and then I want to choose to focus on this one. And then there are eunuchs that live like that for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He says there are some people that are, uh, they weren't born that way, they weren't made that way, they're just actually choosing singleness. They're choosing to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of of heaven, And it, I can assume that he's saying that they're doing that for some of the advantages we're going to talk about in a second. But also, and, uh, and it's many other smart people, like many smarter people than me, have dug into this passage and said it could be, uh, and again, I don't want to say anything the text isn't saying, but there seems to be a decent amount of evidence that it could be also that it's those that have um, attractions and desires that are not lining up with their convictions that are choosing to live like singles uh, because their attractions and their desires aren't lining up with their convictions. And again, I want to spell it for you. It's T-Y-L-E-R at City Church. But I, I was reading that, and I was thinking about some people in our church 
um, that I just know are choosing to lay down uh, relationships or they're choosing to lay down marriage for the sake of their convictions. And, uh, and I, want to, I want to publicly, on behalf of our church, say that we honor you. And, uh, and that no decision that you choose to make for the sake of the kingdom of heaven is going to be in vain. Uh, no intimacy that you give up uh, for the sake of intimacy with Jesus is going to be in vain. And, uh, and this church honors you. And we love you. Uh, we're inspired by you. And we believe in you. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, 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 actually singleness even if there's no other physical reason for it, singleness is an acceptable way to live. And so we have Paul that validates singleness. In your notes it says that Jesus validates singleness. The church, I think, at least should be. Uh, we're trying to. And so the last kind of demographic that's got to get on board with this, uh, or at least validate it, are singles, unmarried. Singles should validate singleness. And, and hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you must be happy with your current relationship status. That's, I don't think that that's in there. But it's not okay to feel like you're less than. You don't have to be happy with the current state that you're in, but it's not okay to feel like you are less than or you have less to contribute to the kingdom because of that. And, uh, and don't think, <laughs> I'm going to read some of your mail right now. Don't think that if you get too good at this singleness thing, like if you get too good at serving God and serving his kingdom, he's going to just forget to leave you in there. Okay? Some of you have had that thought, because <laughs> I know I did. Um, don't think that he's just going to forget and leave you there because you're just way too valuable. He could never take you off of that team. And on the flip side, don't think that if you just pout, and get real lazy and say, God, I'll do for you what you want me to do once you give me that thing that, you, that I want to have, don't think that you're going to bully the God of the universe into submission. And so Jesus validates it. The church should be validating it. Paul validates it. The last one is, I hope that you, unmarried people and married people, but specifically today, I hope that you feel validated in what you have to offer the kingdom because there are some advantages there are some distinct advantages to not being married. And I texted a few people in our church this week and just said, hey, what are some good things? What are some hard things? And, uh, and I got some really great answers. Number one, um, and I just knew this instinctively, but uh, you get to avoid some problems. Uh, one author said that marriage is the opportunity to solve problems you didn't have on your own. <laughs> it's true. It is so true. So you get to avoid certain problems. Number two, and I heard this over and over again, and Megan hit on this, is independence. There's just a certain level of independence that you have. Everybody, almost everybody I texted said that. And uh, uh, if you've met my wife, she was the one singing right here. Her name's Catherine. And you just know if you've met her, she's awesome. Like, uh, in marriage, I just killed it. And she's one of the, she is the easiest person I've ever been married to, but she is the easiest person to be around. If you've been around her, you probably like her. If you don't, you're just wrong. Um, and, uh, but, and I remember experiencing this like uh, probably about five years ago. It was two years into marriage, and it's literally the first time I felt like, oh, I can't do something because I chose something a few years ago. Uh, we were living in Las Vegas, and uh, we were dreaming. We knew we weren't going to be there forever. 
and we were dreaming about, I wonder what's next. You know, maybe we'll plant a church, probably not. And I wonder what, we're, what else we're going to do. And then I heard about it. I heard about this uh, group of, it's kind of like the Navy SEALs of Christians, which of course struck me. And I heard about this group called Circuit Riders. And I heard that they were going from campus to campus. They were going from nation to nation. They're doing evangelism. They're praying. They're seeking revival. They're doing all kinds of, like they're leading crazy worship nights. They're preaching on the streets. They're praying for people on the streets. It was literally everything I love. It was like, I mean, I heard about it and it's like, oh, well, that's easy. This is what we're going to do. And, uh, and I remember it took it, uh, we were sitting in our living room, and I took it to Catherine, I was like, hey, I heard about circuit riders, I think this could be great. And, uh, and she read about it a little bit, and, and then she said, you know, I, she said, I don't think I need much in this world, and it's true, but she said, I really need, like, a permanent home. I mean, they're, like, living in hostels and, and RVs and, and tents, and she said, I really, I think I really need a permanent home. I think I really need a grocery store, like my grocery store. <laughs> and she said, I need fewer yet deeper relationships. And I thought about it, and it's like, oh, that's true. That is what she needs. And then I looked at circuit riders, and it was like, that's the opposite of all of those things. <laughs> and, and it wasn't a real sad moment. I don't want to be overly dramatic. But I looked at this, and I said, I can't do that because of something I chose a few years ago, there was some independence that was actually cut off from me, and it would be spiritual maybe for one person to do that, but actually it would be sin for me because I chose something else a couple years ago. There's independence as a married person that you've given up, and if you're unmarried, there is a certain level of independence that you still have. So you've avoided problems. Um, there's advantages there that you have uh, a greater level of independence. And the last one I heard over and over and over again was we just have more time. We have more time than uh, a lot of people who are married. And, uh, and I'll jump on that as, I mean, a lot of you guys know Catherine and I are trying for kids, have been trying for years, but I'm not gonna ignore the opportunity that we have. Like, we have lots of extra time without kids. I, uh, I wrote part of this message Monday at, a sev at, at 7 p.m. Parents, what were you doing Monday at 7 p.m.? Were you doing whatever you wanted? Were you working on whatever you wanted? Like, there's distinct advantages in time to being single. But there's also some tough things, and I got great feedback here, and, and I'm just experienced, I've experienced this from other friends I have in the church, but there's specifically tough things about being not married in the church, and so single people, feel free to listen in. Married people, we got to get this. We got we to gotta make this better. We, we will get this right in our church, and we want to do everything we can to not make these a reality here, but I heard that there is, and we've talked a little bit about this, there's just a feeling of less than, not in theology, but just in experience. Like you can only do certain things, or you're only asked to do certain things in the church uh, that are not specifically listed in scripture um, when you're married. Like you have to wait until you're married for those things. And, uh, and we really, we will do our best to get this right here. And I got um, one girl texted me about this and she said, I've felt this before, but then she said, and uh, in so many ways, we're just a church, we're just another church, I don't want to brag, but she said, I feel better as a single person at City Church than I have anywhere else. And I want to sandwich with that with, we will disappoint you, we will, I probably disappointed you in the last 15 minutes, like, this church will let you down, but I read that and I was so thankful. I was so thankful because there's so many of the efforts that I know we've dreamed about and then this broader team's dreamed about and now all of us are living that we really want that to be true here. And so married people, let us not say things 
like, oh, you'll understand that when you get married. Am I right, single people? You'll understand once you get married. Or um, you'll have so many more opportunities to look like Jesus once you are married. I'm going to take it a step further. Um, Please don't say the same thing about parenting. I have great job security here. I'm in really tight with the pastors. But I question my ability when somebody tells me, like, oh, you'll look a lot more like Jesus when you have kids. You better believe I'm going to look a lot more like Jesus as we go through what we're going through. And you better believe, as someone that's longing to be married and dealing with what it looks like to navigate that, as they're leaning into the Lord, you better believe that they have plenty of opportunities to look more like Jesus. Let's not say things like that. I got this text from someone, and this just broke my heart, uh, because I know I'm guilty. Uh, He said, the hardest part is how if you don't share the same genetics as someone or have a legal binding, they can leave you for a vacation, have a holiday, or something similar. And even if you're closer to them, that psychological disconnection is what drives them to separate you from that moment in their life. And, uh, yeah, I just want to repent. Like, that's, that's me. And I'll still probably go on vacations with Catherine. Like, that's going to happen. But I know that that is absolutely a thing that we do with nuclear families, and that doesn't seem to be the thing that Jesus laid out in his new kind of family. So there's all kinds of things that make this tougher, and we haven't even talked about the fear of getting older, the fear of being unlovable, the fear of aging out in a youth-obsessed culture, and the constant bombardment that single people have against purity and chastity. There are so many things that make this difficult in the church. I know that we want to make this less difficult here. And, and I want to close with another little passage, Um, it's Genesis 2.15, which by my math is three verses before Genesis 2.18. So this is the first institution by the way I read Genesis uh, that God kind of puts on earth. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And so before God instituted marriage, he actually gave man kingdom work to do. Before the institution of marriage, there was this idea that we're giving back and we're helping co-create with the Lord. We're giving back to the creation that he's already put. So Adam named animals. He was taking care of a garden long before he met Eve. And so no matter what your relationship status is, at least this tells me that there's kingdom work to do. Married, single, dating, engaged, there's kingdom work for us to do regardless of where we stand with that. And, and I want to end by being really practical, and this is in your notes. Write this down. If I'm single, I should be consumed with the kingdom. If I'm single, I should be consumed with the kingdom. Um, whether you want to be in this place of singleness or not, uh, there can be this absolute adoration of Jesus still. And, and don't waste the opportunities. Don't waste some of the advantages that I've talked about. There are real kingdom work to be done. And, and there's real opportunity to be consumed with the kingdom of God. Now, if I'm married, uh, married people, write this down. If I'm married, I should be consumed with the kingdom. It's the same thing. <laughs> same thing. Married, we have, we've been blessed with marriage. That's great. That does not mean it's the end-all, be-all. There is still kingdom work for us to do. And actually, there's some certain things that we can do a little bit better. I'm thinking about like... Uh, <laughs> Catherine and I, a few years ago, this girl came over, and she was having nightmares, and uh, she just couldn't get rid of them, and that's my scene. 
I'm casting this out and throwing that away and binding this. And uh, it took like 20 minutes and this girl got totally set free. I mean, seriously, like stuff was free. But she's still like crying and, uh, and obviously distraught, but I'm kind of done. <laughs> I like, she's in my living room now and I thought I was gonna watch TV and I watched Catherine, I didn't know what else to do. And I watched Catherine just kind of go and put her arm around her and give her a Kleenex and start to just pray and, and really shepherd her well. And I knew in that moment, like, oh, this is a great team. And, and so married people, there are certain things, there's certain advantages to even work in the kingdom. <laughs> Maybe it's not casting out demons, I don't know. <laughs> but I experienced that with Catherine and I where it's like, oh man, I really would have failed if I was on my own. <laughs> or that would have been really like a harsh ending to a really traumatic night. I'm so thankful for that. But there's kingdom work, whether you're married or you're single, that we've got to do. And, uh, and this is for both of us, but, and it's not in your notes, but feel free to write this down. Build a family. Build a family. Uh, did you know, did you know that you can be married and still be lonely? Did you know that you can be single and be absolutely and fully known? Uh, this is my biggest, like, marketing plug I can give you for house groups. Like, we're creating family. Who are you going to run with in this season? Who's your tribe? Who are the people that you go to? And it should look a little bit like our church, both married and unmarried. Uh, so join a house group. Get a part of a community. Don't try to do it on your own. Um, and married people, this is for you too. You need more than just one friend. I know your spouse is your best friend. They're amazing. But you need a second friend and probably even a third just for good measure. And so find a house group. Find some kind of community that you can run with. Because the core belief, one of the core beliefs in Christianity is that there are two covenants. There's a covenant that God made. We call it the Old Testament. And there's a covenant that then Jesus came and uh, he fulfilled the old covenant, and now the old is somewhat obsolete as he's ushered in a new kingdom. And there's a lot of similarities between the covenant we read uh, in the Old Testament and the covenant that we see in the new, but there's some differences too. In the old, it teaches us to live well in the land. It teaches us how to live well in the place that we are. And in the new, Jesus ushered in living well in the kingdom. He's brought his kingdom on earth. How do we engage with that? How do we live well in the kingdom? In the old, it says that uh, it was a lot of, mostly revolved around being married and then being fruitful and multiplying. That was a command given. In the new, it looks similar, but a little different. Uh, there's no talk that you've got to be married, but there is talk that we must multiply and make disciples who make disciples. In both covenants, uh, family is kind of this central theme that you see. Um, it's just in the new, the family is much bigger, much fuller, and like the new covenant, in my opinion, it is much better. The family that Jesus ushered in is so much better. And as a married person, I want you to do what only you can do. And as a single person, I want you to do what only you can do. And we've got to start, and we're going to start, um, doing a good job of acknowledging and validating the other. We want to recognize that every member of the family has a seat at the table. And, and we talk a lot about family here, um, and we'll have the band come back up. I want to end with this. We talk a lot about family. Uh, we talk a lot about being a family on mission. That's like my, if you want to get me going, Navy SEALs, Fast and Furious, family on mission. You've got like my three buzzwords. And we talk so much about being a family on mission, but if we're going to be a family on mission, we first have to understand how we can be family. And we have to understand what it looks like to be family with each other. And, uh, and I want to end, um, and I'll just, I'll end with some prayer, but I felt like a specific burden 
um, to cancel this fear, to, to get rid of this fear that I'm missing out, um, or this fear that I'm less than, specifically around this idea of not being married. Because the Bible says that you are uh, married or single, that you are uh, for, fully capable of love. You're worthy of being fulfilled. You're more than enough. And, and I know, just from texts and experiences, that sometimes there's this fear that actually, no, I'm not quite enough, or I probably do need that to fully contribute. And that's just not true. And, uh, and so let's pray. Um, and if you're married, would you join me silently, but go ahead and join me in praying against this, because this is not what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Fear is not a part, it's not a characteristic of the kingdom of heaven, but a spirit of boldness is. And so God, right now, I cancel the fear of missing out. I cancel FOMO in Jesus' name, uh, especially around this idea of singleness. We just say no to that. We say no to that. Uh, for the unmarrieds among us. We say no to that for the unmarrieds in the church. And God, would you empower us, the whole church, to start to look like family? Let us look a little bit more like the kingdom that you came to establish. And I pray that we would start to release that kingdom here in Cincinnati, whatever our relationship status is. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. And we say yes to whatever you have for us. And we ask that no matter where we are, married, single, somewhere in between, that we would walk out with boldness and courage to bring your kingdom here on earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray that.